Hello, human peoples. You're listening to the podcast network of Gamefully Unemployed. Support us and gain access to great exclusive podcasts like Fox Mulder is a Maniac, Tom and Jeff Watch Batman, Star Trek The Next Futurama, and our latest show, Spiel Boys. Head over to patreon.com slash gamefullyunemployed. We do game streaming, movie nights with our patrons every Friday night, and you can even commission your own podcast about anything you want. Literally anything, within reason, and we have to do it. You are quite frankly out of excuses not to go visit patreon.com slash gamefullyunemployed. That's patreon.com slash G-A-M-E-F-U-L-L-Y unemployed, which is spelled like it sounds. Movies. Movies from the 2000s. Films, early motion pictures from pre-9-11, 2001, March of 2001. I saw this in the theaters with my friends. Yeah, I worked at the movie theaters, I believe, when this came out. You didn't. Why are you gonna make up lies? Why, why are you lying? Why are you lying to them? Yeah, I. I you You've know, never worked in a movie theater. You've never seen a movie. I'll spin whatever whatever yarns <laughs> I please. <laughs> I'll tell whatever tall tales I wish. <laughs> hey everybody! Hello everyone! My name is David Bell. My name is Tom Ryman. And we just watched The Mexican, starring <laughs> Brad Pitt as the Mexican. No. <laughs> no. No. That would be that would be a problem. DreamWorks Pictures presents... He brings me the pistol, I give you the hammer. This is so Jerry. Hey, buddy. Is that your ball? Julia Roberts. Don't you listen? We broke up. She has complaints. I don't have complaints, but she has complaints. Exactly! Brad Pitt. I need a lift in your El Truco to the next town-o. James Gandolfini. Don't you love him? Are you taking his side? And if a person's a considerate lover, he can't be all selfish, right? You know, you're a very sensitive person for a cold-blooded killer. You don't know me. So, first of all, big thank you to Mercurial Oz. Thank you. Uh, they are our patron producer uh, who made this all happen, who, who delighted in uh, asking us to watch The Mexican, um, Gore Verbinski's post-mouse hunt, but pre-The Ring. So, it's his second film. Yep. I forgot. I, I was looking him up. He did the Budweiser Frog mm-hmm. commercials. Yeah. He also did a lot. Of, he did like no effects and bad religion music videos. Yeah. So that's a, an unusual career. Yeah. I like, mean, well, it's that's it's not that a, it's not that unusual. A lot of it's I guess it's just unusual the specific commercials and music videos that he did. Because yes. like a lot of it's directors more, start doing videos and commercials. It's more yeah. It's more genre where it's like. You look at the genres he's done, it's like there's no telling what he'll do at any given moment, like genre-wise, where it's like he's really done it all. He's kind of, um, he's kind of a Richard Donner, right? Like he he's yeah. kind of done every type of genre. He really has, including edgy crime comedy. Oof. Um that's what this is. <laughs> this is um I uh I hadn't seen this movie. Um, I simply worked at a movie theater for it, so well, I, I didn't know it. what to expect here. I've seen it, and I knew exactly yeah. what to expect, and, and 22 years of time did not diminish or contradict those expectations. Right. So what what would you say? Did you say you like this movie, Tom? I hate this movie. Okay. I, so here's, uh, this isn't really a controversial tape. I think ultimately I did not like this movie, but I saw a lot of good in it. And that's actually made me dislike it more. It is has, what they chose. To it do has the potential. Good. Yeah, the the idea has, the idea of the cursed pistol I really like. Yeah, it has an incredible cast. Yeah, the cast so, is amazing. The people involved. Yeah, I love that Bob Palaban is the villain. Yeah, I'm like, come on now. A, a Gene Hackman, <laughs> a surprise Gene Hackman cameo at the yeah. end. Yeah. So you got a, you got a it, J.K. Simmons with a with a little wig on. Yes, with like a little comb over. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a it little, looks like the sweatiest man ever yeah, yeah. like a little ba- music teacher comb over oh man yeah james gandolfini mm-hmm. um and of course uh bradley pitt and julia roberts as the lead this is about crime that doesn't exist does that make sense where i was like the whole time i was like what what are you people brad pitt so he it begins with i believe my commute when i worked at cracked the first shot i'm almost certain that's uh, a road that I drove every fucking day. Um, yeah. Uh, but Brad Pitt runs a red light or he gets the light, a the light. If you watch the light, like changes, like it, oh, okay, it, it, it yeah. kind of like flickers. So that it's, it's this, this movie has 
kind of an idea of like fate or uh, bad luck or luck or or curses. Yeah, but, it, but only sometimes. I talk about that. Only yeah, I sometimes. Talk about that. Because there's this motif throughout that because they keep going back to traffic lights and like this idea of like traffic lights and crossroads. And, you know, like you said, fate, where it's the idea you're at these crossroads and they change your life and you have these traffic lights that I guess you can choose to ignore or not. Um, and uh, I don't think it ever really follows up on that idea. But um we start with that premise and what we'll later learn is Brad Pitt got into a traffic accident with, I believe Gene Hackman. Yeah. That's, um, that's the implication. I just imagine that. Yeah. And there was a body in his trunk. Cause Gene Hackman's this big mom boss. Right. And he goes to jail. But I just wanted um, to point out that the traffic light like flickers it, because it's really subtle and they spend the whole like Julia Roberts spends the movie saying, oh, Brad Pitt wasn't paying attention and he crashed into Gene Hackman. And it's because he wasn't being paying attention while he was driving when it was actually like, the hands of fate reached down and like tinkered right. with the traffic light. There's this idea that Brad Pitt, the movie seems to want us to think Brad Pitt is a man with bad luck. Um, or like sometimes fate, like saying is stealing him. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I think he's his own worst enemy most of the time. Yeah, usually. Um, but it's this, it, it, they don't do it enough. This is definitely in the realm of like trying to be kind of guy Richie where like things just happen. But I would argue that because it's trying to be that quirky, it actually becomes extremely predictable because you always know that something like he walks away from the car that has the gun in it. And you're like, well, that car is going to get stolen. Why? Mm -hmm. How do I know that? Because the movie is trying to be unpredictable. So of course it's going to get stolen. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of suffers that issue where it's trying to be so quirky that it ends up not quirky in my head. Mm -hmm. um, and there's not enough. There's not enough of the luck idea of like the the idea that this this right. antique pistol is cursed it doesn't come into effect enough to like i don't know what it's trying to say about it and i don't know like are we supposed to understand that like the the curse of the gun is what changed the traffic light to make brad pitt do this and what that's what ultimately started all these dominoes to fall because gene hackman know. goes to prison and shares a prison cell with the son of this mexican crime boss and they have their family history is connected to this antique pistol so gene hackman decides because this kid uh dies protecting him in jail that he's going to recover this antique pistol and return it to the kid's father as this sign of, of goodwill and because it's a thing that needs to be done because there's this sweeping epic story behind the pistol's curse um but it, it, i just i can't that's a super interesting well, idea to me, but it just never, I, it never does enough with that idea of, of the curse or the bad luck. Like, I don't know. It all just seems random and it doesn't really seem to be saying anything because the movie. There should have been a pattern. Yeah. And the movie also goes back and forth between tones, which doesn't help either. Right. Because the, I, I was thinking the idea is whoever has the gun at any particular time, a bunch of bad luck happens too. That would be interesting, right? Sometimes that happens. There's rules. But that's not that, that's yeah. what I'm saying. It's not what happens. Yeah. Um, and that idea of like, does Brad Pitt... First of all, I want to start with the idea that I have no idea what Brad Pitt is. And what I mean by that is you just explained it. He got in a traffic accident with Gene Hackman, who then like made him work for the mob. So I'm like, is he a mob guy? Is Brad Pitt a hitman? Because I can't No, he's tell. like he's like a bag man. He's a gopher. Because okay. we learn... I mean, I mean, judging by that's just inferring from the only two jobs we've heard of him doing is it the movie begins with him going to apologize for screwing up this last job, which is what he was go he was supposed to go pick something up and bring it to them. And that's what he's right. doing with the gun. So I, he's just like, but like a, a was carrier. he that because he got hit in that car accident? I assume like, so. Did, he, did they like that's weird, right? Right. Doesn't that feel weird that the mob would say you got to work for us now? Right, and it's like yeah. I don't think that's how the mob. You got to work for my family for as long as I'm in jail. That's a really right. weird. If the mob did that to me, I'd say I'm going to the cops because I'm a civilian. Like I, what do you, what do you want me to do? Like I've never fired a gun. So that's what I mean. Is like Brad Pitt seems like way too. He seems like he's in the mob, but also he's was like hit a mobster and got put so it's like i couldn't understand like was he a mobster before the accident they're impossible was he a people. bad guy the, yes the, the, he and julia roberts are people that don't exist right and there's a lot of this stuff where the movie is trying is i'm a little like unclear about the characters because the other big threat of this is love and the idea that this gun is cursed and it's around the idea of lovers the problem i had with that 
is that we never see Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts like each other no. remotely. No. And so they, they start fighting and then we're sort of had to be told that they love each other. And then, and then we're just assured these people love each other. You're right. And it's like, I never see you guys love each other. So I never felt that aspect of it either. So it was very confusing. The two characters felt very confusing to me. I also want to point out that in these fights, Julia Roberts is so poorly written that the two fights that's, that start, well, there's really three, but the two main ones is there's one in the very beginning when we first meet the two of them. And Julia Roberts is screaming at him and throwing his stuff out the window because he brad pitt has to go to mexico to get this gun but he's like well if i don't go they're gonna kill me like they're gonna murder me like bob balaban said he would wrap me up in a rug with my head poking out and dump gasoline on me and set me on fire or i could go get this gun and she's screaming at him for going to get the gun it's like it's irrational it doesn't make any sense yeah and then like and then later on when the second fight they have is over the phone when she's uh, with gandolfini who's like escorting her to the airport um, and she's calling him to let him know that she's at the airport. He answers the phone and says hello, and she immediately starts screaming at him as like, I didn't know whether you were alive or dead, and you answer the phone hello. And it's like he had no idea who was calling him. Like right. it just it both it just it just it's it's just more ammo for what you were saying about how we never see them actually enjoy each other's company. It's both fights they, they have hate each other. Right. Both fights they have start from nothing. There's no conflict. It's just Right. Julia Roberts starts screaming at him because the script said that that's what happens. Right. She'd rather him die right. than not go to Vegas with her right. at the beginning. It's like, they're going to really set weird. me on fire unless yeah. I do this. Right. There's like an opening shot where they're both like smiling at each other in bed. And that is the extent of them being in any way kind towards each other. Um, so there's a lot of problems right away with these characters for sure. The plot. So yeah, the plot is that he has to go to Mexico to get this gun. Um, uh, and then this is where things get even more confusing. They don't do a good job in my opinion of explaining like the conflict within the mob. So it just starts getting really weird and confusing there too. I would argue. Yeah. Cause what happens is he goes down there and meets this guy for the gun. And everybody's shooting their guns. David, David Crumholtz. Yes. Um, Mexico is as stereotypical as Mexico can possibly be. Meaning that, close your eyes, imagine how Mexico is portrayed in movies. Bam, you got it. They went to a casting agency for street children. You know? Yeah. Uh, they're celebrating a holiday, uh, a indescript holiday on the streets. Um, everything is yellow. Um, there's no, like, civilization. Yeah, there's yellow no, like, filter, yeah. Yeah, there's no, like cities it's just all like small towns um it's dusty everywhere it's that mexico which you know again a lot of movies are guilty of um so they go down there he he grabs this guy for the gun i don't really know like what this guy's situation is and why he's giving him the gun um but he gets shot he gets killed by a bullet that people are firing in the air um, which is fine. Bullets, I, I don't think it works like that. But well, it's like, <laughs> no, it actually does. That's no, the it. bullets come down, but I thought they, it, it, it takes longer or they go farther. Is I, what think I, always... it, I believe it goes farther, but it does. I yeah. mean, that does happen. That, that's happened yeah, a few times, yeah. like back home, um, like every 4th of July. Uh, mm. um, yeah, that, and that was the, like, I was okay with that because I didn't fully remember this movie. I just remembered that I didn't really like it. And I remembered a couple of things about it. But I thought like that was going to be the first step because Crumholtz gets uh, just shot through the head by a freak accident while he's holding the gun. So I thought, oh, this is the first part of the curse. We're going to see as this gun changes hands, we're going to see how this curse is. And maybe because I was thinking, did you see um, Bullet Train? Yeah, so you, fine. You know how in that movie, like the idea is that Brad Pitt's bad luck actually makes him lucky. Right, yes. Like, I thought it was going to be that in this movie, because they, it's like, oh, he's in this situation Cancels because out of, his bad luck. Right, so I thought, like, he, that's that's why he was going to be able to be the one to get the antique, is because he had this, this terrible luck, but that's not what happens. Right. They also make, it, this is one of the problems, and we already sort of talked about this, is Brad Pitt also just makes bad decisions. Right. So it's like, he's, he's bad luck, but also just a bad, like, he sucks. Like, the first thing he does is rent an unreliable car because he wants something more Mexican and the rental guys make fun of him. Yeah. Like they, they make him seem to be like really naive. 
Um, and I, again, I couldn't tell, like, he seems, he seems okay walking into these places with a gun, but he also is just like, kind of like a bumbling guy. He's also guy. kind of an idiot. So it's like, I couldn't tell like how skilled he was as a hitman. Um, or if you, he even was a hitman, like you said, no, he's more of a he's, bag. He's, man, def- he's definitely not a hitman, but he does. He's also not like an everyday guy. Cause he's fucking handling a gun just fine. You know? Right. And spoilers. He's fine shooting James Gandolfini to death later. Exactly. In the film. Exactly. He doesn't react to that. No. So I was like, is he a killer or not? Like, what is he? He also says he met that guy earlier. So it's like, okay, so you are like a hitman guy. Um, but it's, it's unclear because of the level of like experience seems to vary with him. Mm-hmm. It's, it's um, and whatever the level of like it's his character is so strange. He's not especially likable. Um, no, he's, he's, he's at times really sharp and a total idiot. It's unclear what his level of experience with the criminal underworld is. Yeah. Like you said, it's just, it seems like, they wanted to have like a goofball, but also like like a Guy Ritchie, like kind of like like Riley humorous, like streetwise kind of criminal. But all it, but also at the same time, have him be kind of like a, a, a charming Brad Pitt type character. And it's right. just like he changes. He really does change from scene to scene depending on he what they yells, need him to be. He yells about his crimes. Like when he's fighting with Julia Robert and stuff like that, like that's part of it is like, he just doesn't seem very discreet either. He doesn't seem very good at what he's doing. And so the idea that he has bad luck, I it didn't scan for me well, for the longest time. We're, we're introduced to him is he's taken before Bob Balaban, the imposing Bob Balaban, who is, who yeah. is doing a great job. He plays a great villain. Yeah. He's having a lot of fun. Um, and he's explaining to him why he screwed up the last job. And it's this long rambling story that doesn't have anything to do with the job. It's about, he's talking about, Oh, I'm with this girl, my girlfriend. We fight a lot, but we're in group meetings. Isn't that funny? You guys know what I'm talking about. Anyway, we were having a big fight and she wanted to use the car at the same time. I was supposed to use the car to go do this mob shit that you told me to do, but she hid the keys on me and I couldn't make it to the mob shit you wanted me to do. So what are you going to do? Like, that's a thing that a stupid person says. Right, exactly. Like that's like so, you you would go before the mob. Like he's supposed to be in the in in the organization for 5 years at this point. This is supposed to be his last job because Gene Hackman's about to get out of jail. And if you gave you wouldn't give the mob that excuse. You would expect to get murdered if you gave them exactly. that excuse. Yeah. Take a cab, Brad Pitt. Yeah. Take a fucking cab. Um like it's it's so weird. Like again, and that and so when the it, film like introduced the concept of fate and luck, I was like, "What?" Like he's yeah. just a dumbass, isn't right? He? Yeah. Like I, I thought he was a dumbass. But sometimes he's um, not. Like sometimes he's really right. sharp. Like when he gets the drop on J.K. Simmons. Right. But then we have yeah. So the stuff with the mob is equally confusing because what's about to happen is he gets the gun and the guy dies. So he calls J.K. Simmons, who's like, "I'm going to come there." And then the car gets stolen. Right. Mm-hmm. He has to chase down the guys who steal the car. What we later learn is that they're working for the person who gene hackman is working right with, they're working right? for the mexican crime boss right and so gene hackman is there in mexico and he's working for gene hackman so why would they do that they <laughs> why would they send the guys to steal the car why can't they just approach him and say we're oh excuse me i burped why can't they approach them and say we're working for the same people like we'll take it from here. Like what? Like there's this idea that he says like internally he doesn't know who's going to betray him. Hackman right? says that, yeah, yeah. But it's really unclear of like who's working for who, and ultimately it felt very like convenient the ways they would do stuff. Where it's like, okay, if he thinks that Brad Pitt's working for Bob Balvin, I don't know, shoot Brad Pitt, <laughs> shoot him, take the gun. Like also, he seemed to know where they were going. Why send Brad Pitt at all then? Um, like, cause he's still ordering Bob Balaban and then he just suspects that Bob Balaban, when the gun gets to him, is gonna, um, steal the gun. I guess you can and explain so, like, that by being a, like, a, I guess you can explain that by, cause the, the guys steal the car with the gun in it moments after he leaves the bar with Crumholtz and the gun. So right. you could, you could infer that like, they were like, okay. Um, I learned that Bob Balaban's gonna like try to try to steal my criminal empire out from under me, try to get the gun for himself and sell it to somebody else and cut us out. So let's go get the gun before Brad Pitt gets it. So that would explain why 
the Mexican gangsters show up at the bar like moments after Brad Pitt is leaving right. with Crumholds. It doesn't explain why he then finds them at another bar just hanging out. Nope. With the gun. Nope. Um, like acting like they're just car thieves. Um, right. Why wouldn't because... they take it right to the boss? They would take it exactly. right to the guy. They would they would take it right to the guy. That's what they were out to do. Right. Um, so like it, the movie wants to have its cake and eat it too. Is yes. my point. Yes, where it, it wants this chaos and then it wants to tie it up in a bow at the end. And it's like, but it, and there's the same with like James Gandolfini. I wasn't completely sure like why his. So the idea was this two hitmen fighting over. The, they they decided that his, they were scared just, that Brad Pitt wasn't going to do his job, so they take his girlfriend hostage, and it was like as leverage. Yeah, I yeah, but like I don't know why just spend those resources on going after Brad Pitt in Mexico or like again, it was all like very like weird, weird, sweaty like ideas of like and then there's a second hitman and then he assumes the identity of one and it's like what are you guys doing like this is so weirdly complicated I, that that like, one wasn't that un- hard to wrap my mind around because it's like okay if they think because they brad pitt has the gun at that point like and if they think he's going to sell it to somebody else they're going to park somebody on his girlfriend to make him decide otherwise um, right but why then what was the point of the second person it was competing bob Balaban right it was competing versus okay i I wanted to say james gandolfini's presence in this movie is baffling this character is baffling yeah i was waiting for this um i think he is the most interesting character he is they wasted everything about him yes because what happens this could have been its own movie and in fact i'm pretty sure there's been movies like this james gandolfini basically um is fighting another hitman over the right to kidnap Julia Roberts. Then when he kidnaps her, he's a very interesting guy. He's very straightforward. She's like, are you going to kill me? And he's just like, I, you know, it's hard to tell right now. Like he's very calm. He's trying to say to her, like, listen, yes, you're a hostage. But if if everything goes according to plan, no, I won't kill you. (laughs) Right. And Julia Roberts seems to act like someone who's also connected with the mob. Like she's upset over death. She is a baffling character exactly where again it's like brad pitt i'm like i it's unclear to me how connected to crime you are um and so she starts having a relationship with james gandolfini that's very kind of fun it's it's cat and mouse but also like they're both kind of sharp towards each other and then we slowly learn that james gandolfini yeah we learn that he's gay um and she becomes like his wingman basically which is a baffling idea that they go to vegas and he picks up a guy and i'm like are you a professional or not the movie is off the rails at this point like it's it's them it's them on like a (laughs) it's them on like a road trip at this point it's like it's she's she's basically like helping james gandolfini get his groove back at this point which is I think alone would be a fun movie, but you have to spend the time to give it room to breathe. Right. So that, like, if you're going to tell that story where it's like this hitman kidnaps this woman, they become friends. She becomes his wingman. She helps him believe in love again. Like, cause that's kind of what this subplot is. That needs to be the whole movie. Yeah. And it would be a delight. And they, through the whole thing, they make James, they make a really fun idea, which is that like when he's on, when he's on the job, he's a terrifying man. He's a James Gandolfini type. Right. Um, he's a Tony Soprano type. Yeah. And so, like, it's this dynamic of, like, yeah, he's a murderer, but he's, like, having... And so, like, that could have been a really cool idea if at the end he's told, like, you have to shoot her, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what a movie like that that's goes That's what towards. it's building towards, obviously. Yes. Obviously, that's what um, it's building towards. But they also... They make him the far most interesting and likable character across the board hands down james gandolfini is playing it really fun and they then brad pitt kills him and i was like do you understand that we don't like brad pitt anymore now right like he's supposed to be the hero and he kills the only likable character what are you doing movie like you are not winning me julia roberts weeps over his body she like and then gets over it and then is it and then they never mention him again after the scene it yeah. is it is so it's so weird dave like it's really I, weird i can't wrap my head around this decision 
Right, because I thought, oh, she's never going to talk to Brad Pitt again after this. Right? But she forgives him. And and she like remembers the sage advice from Gandolfini later. And it's like, yeah, but he shot him. And at the last minute, they do this thing where they're like, no, look, he was actually bad. He was, he was the bad hit man this whole time. And it's like, really? Because he was awesome. We right. liked him. Because we liked him and they became friends. Like that was, yeah, you th- made- that was far and away the more interesting story being told here. Right. Like, you know the classic screenwriting idea, shoot the cat? Like, that's what's yeah. happening. Strangle like, they, the cat. Yeah, they make us like James Gandolfini, um, and then they have our hero shoot him. And we're in them, they're like, haha, yay. Very coldly. <laughs> like, very coldly. Because yeah. it's not just that Brad Pitt shoots him. Like, afterwards, Brad Pitt is like gloating and shouting, I win, and like raising his hands up to the sky. Right. After he's, he's an asshole about Right. It. It's like he's, they're really rubbing our faces in the fact that right. they just killed this character that we really liked. And so, Maya, if you were making a serious movie, you would, because this could happen in a movie. No one, no one. You know, we've had movies before about this idea, which is like two likable people that we both like who are in a situation where they have to kill one or the other. It's a tragedy, right? Yeah. There's, uh, yes. Yeah. There's like very good stories told like that. The problem is that I think the movie didn't realize how not likable Brad Pitt's character was. Yeah. Because they, I think they thought that's what they had there. But the problem is that we don't like Brad Pitt. Uh, he's been nothing but like kind of a doofus and then he kills this guy we like and then he gloats like you said and it's like okay well if you wanted us to make brad pitt the villain then you did it brad pitt's now the villain in my mind but then the movie ends with him still as the hero and that's that's like the problem where you're like whoa so you wanted me to like him you wanted me to like him after that i don't Uh, have any idea what this movie wanted me to feel I think the movie did not understand its own characters and what the audience would think about its own characters. I think they genuinely thought that since he was Brad Pitt and since he was being kind of Brad Pitt about it, that we would automatically be on his side. But he is never shown as being like a very good guy. They give him a dog. Um, but even the dog, he like points the gun at and is like, get out of here. Like they never make him right. likable enough <laughs> for us to ever be on his side. Yeah. And so when he does a really unlikable thing, it just makes me hate him more. And they never, I, they never talk about Gandolfini after this. Yeah. And it makes me hate Julia Roberts now. Right. Like, I'm like, like two scenes later, she's sitting there watching a soap opera in Spanish. It's it, like, just putting her feet in Brad Pitt's face while he's on the phone. And she's just like, Oh, see, you don't need to understand the language to understand this emotion. Like she has completely forgotten. Right. This character that she was friends with. Because of this, I really had trouble figuring out what any characters wanted at any given time. Um, when he, when he goes to fucking Gene Hackman at the end and he's like, give me the gun. Brad Pitt's like, fuck you. Why should I give you the gun? At that point? I was like, I don't know what, what were you going to do with the gun? Like, I thought that was the point. I thought you were going to bring the gun to Gene Hackman. I thought that was the entire fucking goal. I think what's happening there. Movie. I think what's happening there is is uh, Pitt is is has he's had it at that point. He's like, all right, I'm sick of this game. I'm sick right. of everybody being like, I'm sick of this gun trading hands. I, I'm sick of everyone thinking I'm going to sell the gun because it was never his intention. He was never. It was never his right. idea to try to screw anything up. He was trying to do it correctly. So I think that's the idea behind that. But at that, it's still in that moment, it's like the stupidest thing he could do. Right. I would like, it's one of those things where you're screaming at the top of your fucking lungs. Like what he should say in that moment is, yes, I want to give you the fucking gun. Like he should go off at him about that. Yeah. Of like, it was never a problem. You asshole. I always uh, wanted to give this to you. Yeah. I'll take you to it right now. But instead, he's like, no, fuck you. And right. it's like, come on, man. Like, you can still yell at him, but you can, like, not be confusing about it. Everybody's so confusing It's in this movie. It's just like his opening scene where he's given that ridiculous excuse to Bob Balaban. It's like, you would, you would know that shouting this at this man, you're going to get murdered. Just like, right. just tell him, look, I just want to give you... The- ah. It's like you said, he, he, he just goes between being clever sometimes and then doing the absolute dumbest thing possible other times. Yeah. And then the movie it's, just what the, the 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 one of the frustrating things about it is that it works cuz like Gene Hackman is like 
it's it's like that joke they do in ted where ted is just like cursing out his manager and the manager's like nobody's ever stood up to me like that before you're promoted like gene hackman has basically right. the same response here where he's like i respect your gumption it's like, no you don't right. because it's all just so fucking random yeah. um the the like at the end she shoots the gun and like a ring comes out of it did they establish the ring no Okay, because I was super fucking confused of what that was. I assume it's the wedding wing, wing, ring from the lore that they kept telling, but uh, it, they didn't really justify it enough. It, to me, this movie feels like... We, we mentioned the Guy Ritchie-ness of it, because of course there's that. This it's is not, made it's not, right it, after... It's not shot or edited like Guy Ritchie, but, no, the, but the, the, you can tell. It's got the Guy Ritchie DNA in the, in the yeah, storyline, for sure. Tarantino is another example. And... Um, what Guy Ritchie and Tarantino understands. And I feel like we've had this conversation before about other films from this era, but what they understand is like, it's not just rant. Like what this movie seemed to think is like, let's take a bunch of things and shake them around and just be like, Oh, so random. Everything's random. And it's like, no. Yeah. There, there still needs to be some connective tissue there. It still has to like thematically align and be in service of something. Here's the best example of that. I, I, can think of is when they tell the story about the gun which is basically this gunsmith back in it looks like 19th century like 1800s um this lord is coming he wants a gun to be made for him so this gunsmith makes him this really really fine weapon but the 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 deal is is that he has this beautiful daughter who uh his apprentice is in love with but he's like no you're too lowborn and poor he's gonna marry the lord's son she's gonna marry the lord's son when i give the lord this pistol so his apprentice curses the gun um, and right. the, the, so the gunsmith, we, we get a couple of tellings of, of the, the legend around the gun where the gunsmith keeps trying to get the gun to work. And every time it's fired, it ends up killing either the person who fired it or it ricochets in a wild way and kills somebody else. Um, so it's, it's clear the gun is cursed. And then finally the Lord shows up with his son, uh, to marry the daughter. Um, but the gun doesn't work. So the Lord's like, oh, you've insulted me with this. So his son is going to shoot the gunsmith's daughter. Um, or, but no, wait, he's going to shoot, he's going to shoot the apprentice. So his, the daughter picks up the antique gun and, and points it at the Lord, but they're like, oh, it doesn't work. So it's fine. Um, apprentice convinces her to put the gun down. Lord's son shoots the apprentice. She, she picks up the antique pistol, uh, it, it, it distraught and shoots herself. And it goes off that time because the legend is like, oh, in, in the hands of a pure person, it will actually fire, but otherwise it won't fire. Right. Um, so, okay. So we tell all that. To tell you that uh, when they do these flashback sequences, you hear a pr- an old timey projector start up, and it like it, so it looks like an old timey film, um, for no reason. Like I get why you would stage a flashback sequence like you're a, a person watching an old timey film is oh because it's a right. memory, but like the movie's not about film. Brad Pitt is not a film buff. There's no narrative or character reason for brad pitt to be imagining the flashback story this way it's just yeah. gore verbinski thought it looked cool and put it in the movie right it's just things that look cool yeah. or seem neat ideas it's a lot of ideas smushed together mm-hmm. um and yeah it, it it creates this inconsistency because if you want to add chaos into your world you have to make other things consistent right um like randomness should never just be truly random in a movie really because then it's just sort of like i don't know like like you're saying it just feels completely unmotivated yeah um so like if there was an element of chaos if the gun was chaos then you need the stuff around the gun to not be chaos so we can like tell James gandolfini yeah. can't be this fucking quirky on his own yeah like you're, they're trying to make everything fucking quirky but be, by making everything quirky there's yeah there's no like contrast Um, right you can't tell what is fate what is the special force at work here yeah because they keep talking about it like again like pulp fiction he runs into marcellus wallace crossing the street that's fate right Mm -hmm. and then they fight and then they go into zed's place and that's also fate but then you understand why they go their separate ways after that whereas like you're talking about with gene hackman he's just sort of like okay and it's like, I don't understand why G. Hackman is into Brad Pitt or forgiving of Brad Pitt. 
Um, like you can make the world random or the world chaotic if the people in the world make sense mm-hmm. uh, in what they're doing, but they're not really doing that here. It's just people right. sort of deciding to do whatever they need them to do right. at any given moment. In order for the gun to actually be chaotic, like chaos has to be introduced when the gun is introduced but when everything yeah. is chaotic and random you can't really tell what effect the gun is having on anything yeah and like you said the flashback stuff is a good uh way of pointing that out which is like it really feels like he had a lot of ideas that he wanted to put in but he didn't know why he was putting them in right there's no like there's the no Vegas stuff again feels so like he wanted to tell a completely different story yeah that's a that's he a different this, movie yeah he had this other idea and he was excited about that other idea. And it's like, ah, make that other idea then, you know? Um, yeah, it's it's so weird and out of place with this Brad Pitt storyline. And the, it the, really is. the Brad Pitt storyline, by the way, is boring, right? He just kind of goes from yes, place to place. I, it's just, it's It's really, the movie feels really aimless, too. Every time they cut back to Brad Pitt, I like lost like whenever they went to Jim Gandolfi. And by the way, everybody's doing a great job. But again, it's about writing and character, which is that like Brad Pitt is playing a dipshit who's not that interesting. Like, it's just not. That's just so, what, like, it's like, what was written, I just, man. I don't know what you. Yeah. <laughs> every time they cut back to him, I just lost interest, especially since he keeps just going. It's the same fucking like that that light he keeps going to the same locations back and forth back and forth yeah it feels like so it's not very interesting it felt, either it felt aimless i mean even the well actually no i and was, I, was I take just, that back but the brad pitt stuff definitely felt aimless it does and it also again has that guy Ritchie idea where it's so trying to have so many setbacks that it's un, it's predictable like he goes to the airport and of course he has the wrong passport it's like of course Whatever happened to J.K. Simmons? Do we catch up with him? No, he get, he and the uh, pawn shop uh, owner that Brad Pitt handcuffs him to. Yeah, he comes back and they've they it look it it's clear that they got a little box of tools and escaped, and we just never see them again. We never see him again, nope. and it's shit like that where it's like you need to wrap that shit up. Like in order, like again, you go you go back to like the Guy Ritchie of it all, uh, and the uh, like what. Guy Ritchie would often do is he'd have these interconnected things, right? He'd have these things that are apart and then they'd end up kind of tying together at the end in satisfying ways. This doesn't do that. Like JK Simmons doesn't come back at a convenient time to like do something that changes, you know, the course of well, you know, none of that. Nope. It's, it's none of nobody's actions set like this, this like Rube Goldberg chain of events or anything like that. Here's just stuff just happens and plots just get dropped off uh, when they need to. Again, James Gandolfi just gets killed. Yeah. And, and then it's we like, don't, we oh. never, we don't meditate on it. As soon as that scene ends, it's just, we don't, has, we never revisit it. No consequences. You know, it doesn't mean anything later. I, it doesn't come back to bite Brad Pitt on the ass. You not know, at nothing. all. Julia Roberts doesn't, isn't even mad at him. She asks him. Yeah one question which is that sage piece of advice we mentioned earlier um yeah and that's it she like never explains that hey he was my friend and you killed him and that's fucked up and i hate you now yeah like at the end when they drive off and they drive off and they yell at each other as they're driving yeah, off that's the that's how like, the movie ends with them yelling at each other I'm like thank god this timeless romance has been preserved yeah. like it's like there they go two toxic fucking people who ruin the lives of people around them i guess it's an awful like, that's all they are it's 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 an awful trope it's it's one of the more embarrassing writing tropes of male writers where they think a healthy relationship is uh a a woman yelling at you all the time right like it's it's such a trope and it's so embarrassing it's i don't know anyway the the one of the parts i hate the most about this movie is the finale uh the 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 standoff between brad pitt bob balaban and julia roberts because it makes absolutely no sense Right. Yeah. Like Bob Balaban comes all the way to Mexico to kidnap Julia Roberts and throw her in the trunk and comes out of his car and points a gun at Brad Pitt and like seven Mexican gangsters. So yeah. there's like nine guns pointed at Bob Balaban's one gun. And he's like, nope, there's everybody, no way he's getting out of everybody this. put your guns down. I've got Julie Roberts in the trunk and she gets it by Yemeni. If you don't tell me where the pistol, like, why is he still talking? Why haven't they shot him 17 times at that point? Yeah, and then just open the trunk. Like he never <laughs> had the upper hand. I don't understand. No. 
because they all put their guns down and then he opens the trunk and gets Julia out so they can have their weird standoff that mirrors the story of the gunsmith's daughter and apprentice um, where Bob Balaban's pointing his gun at Brad Pitt and Julia's pointing the antique pistol at Bob Balaban. And it's the same situation where Brad Pitt's like, no, it's okay. Don't, don't shoot him. This is fine. Um, but it, they all, it's, they wanted to get to that, but not only is it completely unearned because Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts, their characters have no connection to that story whatsoever. Right. Um, so it's, why is it these characters that are, if the movie's about fate, why are these two people fated to be the ones to relive this? It doesn't, they have no connection to it. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, but the fact that the scene happened because Bob Balaban got the entire gang to put their guns down. Right. It doesn't make it's any fucking, sense. No, none of it makes sense. <laughs> it's like, it's he, all, he gets out of his they, car and is like, pulls out his gun. He's like, ha ha, I have, I'm like, why aren't they killing him right now? <laughs> yeah. Because they need a result. It's top down, right? Where they yeah. want this like standoff. Um, and it makes the film again, very predictable, I would argue. Um, and very like, I don't know. You just see that it's trying to be really quirky. Like, you know, what's a good example for me for the whole thing is uh these boots are made for walking so she's listening to it in the radio right she goes into this mall and it's still playing at the mall uh and she goes into the bathroom and the two hitmen are following her right mm -hmm. and and the, the movie wants us to think like what's gonna happen and i knew what was gonna happen because i was waiting for the part where they say are you ready boots start walking because every filmmaker wants to put an action scene when that line happens in the song. So by trying to be cool, it's one of the most predictable scenes that's trying to not be predictable because James Gandolfini is hiding behind the door is the reveal. Mm -hmm. But you know that because you know what the filmmaker is trying to do. It's top down where he's like, he really wants to have someone get shot during the song to that one's part in the song because everybody wants to because it's cool. Mm -hmm. So they can't kind of help themselves but to do the cool thing and by that because of that the movie becomes like you kind of can like envision it backwards as it's happening does that make sense yeah where it, there's like a predictability to it all and a nonsensicalness to it all because they want a specific result and they want the result to be really cool um and so every scene is sort of built for that where it's like it's clear that he thought he thought of that moment and then went backwards. But because of that, everything kind of telegraphs it. Um, and often, like, nothing quite makes a lot of sense either. Um, because it's... Oh, yes. Oh, I mean... I'm sorry, are you finished? Please. No, yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, that's interesting. Um, I to totally agree um, with all of that. Um, right. But I wanted to the that that mall scene where they all walk into the bathroom. Julia, then Hitman One, then Gandolfini. Right. Um, that's actually the only bit of praise I want to give this movie because sure. the the sort I guess motif of that scene. I don't know if that's the correct word, but I thought it was actually kind of clever. Where it's Julia Roberts is sitting in the middle of the food court uh, drinking a some kind of drink, a Starbucks or something. Um, right. And then it pans out and we see the the um, the first hitman who we find out is the actual Leroy, whereas Gandolfini pretends to be Leroy the whole movie. But we learn his name's actually Walter. Anyway, so the first hitman's watching her and he's also got a drink. He's like drinking a fountain drink. And then it right. pans out from him and we see Gandolfini and Gandolfini's watching him and he also has a drink and he's sipping right. from his fountain drink. So it's like predators at a watering hole. Right. right. It's like they're Julia Roberts is the prey. You got Predator One watching her, but then Predator Two is watching Predator One. For sure. Um, no, it's it's that's the thing, is Gore Verbinski, again, he started with music videos. So he's thinking in terms of like small moments. And I think at this stage in his career, I, I don't think he wrote this, but I think there's no, this feeling didn't. of he like not. Um, trying yeah. to make these cool ideas, but not thinking about crafting a bigger story. Uh yeah, and so that's why this movie is kind of like all over the place because I think it it feels like a lot of like I want this to happen in the movie. Um, I want this. I think this is cool. What's interesting? Uh, but, it, well, did you notice one of the producers was uh, Lawrence Bender? Hmm. Um, Who's that? Band Apart. 
Oh, okay. Uh, it's one of the producers of Reservoir Dogs, I'm pretty sure, right? Interesting. Um, so, yeah. like, I was reading a little bit about this movie. David Fincher almost directed it, like he wanted to direct it. Um, oh, wow. Because Brad Pitt was involved. It, like, it started out, the script was written by, um, it was written on spec by some guy. Um, I think he was a first-time screenwriter um, who right. was an actor as well. But it got shopped around. Every major studio passed on it. Um, so it got picked up by Bender and, and the other producer, and they were trying to, you know, get a distributor. Um, Brad Pitt got involved, I forget, somehow, but um, it basically all came together because of the people that were attached to it. Like, Dream DreamWorks heard that Brad Pitt was going to be in it, and he had talked to David Fincher, who was interested in directing it. And DreamWorks right. heard that, oh, there's this movie floating around that doesn't have a distributor, um, and it's got Brad Pitt and Fincher attached and DreamWorks is like, holy shit, let's, you know, uh, they swooped in and picked it up. But r like kind of right as they did, Fincher was like, well, I can't do it because I'm doing I'm doing post-production on Fight Club. So uh, it, it's just like this movie is almost like the script was almost kind of cursed, like the gun. Yeah. Like, like yeah. It's, it seems like they knew the script Meta. was bad, right? Because like every studio passed on it and it sort of got made just because brad pitt got attached and then from right. brad pitt uh, david fincher was briefly attached and then because brad pitt was involved julia roberts was also involved because i think they're friends um right and, and everybody was smelling yeah they were smelling like uh like oh this is going to be the next like tarantino or, or guy Ritchie thing yeah so like as we said this movie has a phenomenal cast of people doing a great job with what they're given um the problem they're not is given that very much Right. It, it, well, that's what's interesting is like every individual scene, I think, is fine. Like the the dynamic stuff. But when you, it's the big picture, mm -hmm. right? It's like it's all fucked up. They don't come together to make anything. Yeah. It doesn't make anything that like, makes it, sense. This is barely so a the story. Characters, the characters are okay within the scenes for the most part. You know, like Julia Roberts getting in that fight with Brad Pitt makes sense if she doesn't give a fuck about him yeah if she's like i you know but then we learn that she cares about him so that fight doesn't make sense anymore right because that was my thought at first i was like oh she's a bad person she no like we're him. supposed to she's supposed to be the most sympathetic we're supposed to be right. on her side brad pitt and james gandolfini in that scene makes it's fine in a vacuum um but then when you find out the context around it you're like wait that doesn't make any sense. Why would I like this scene? Why would I yeah. like, why would you do it this way? Um, and so, yeah, it just feels like a lot of little ideas that are just crammed together in a way that just n none of it fits. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a real mess. I remembered hating it, uh, watching it again yeah. this time. I, I, again, I, my memories were correct. Yeah. It's funny, I didn't dislike it as much as I do now talking about it. Because, again, scene to scene, it's like, yeah, this is fine. Again, the actors are doing a good job. I'm enjoying the people in it. But like, when you step back and talk about the big picture, it really is just like, mm, not great. Not great. Yeah, I suspect if you watched it again, you'd really... Yeah, like I'm that, not going to watch it again. The, 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 the Gandolfini thing, that was what really... Like, I still remembered that, and I remembered how weird it was. And then right. coming back and revisiting it 20-odd years later and seeing that it was exactly as weird and jarring as I remembered. It's like, yeah, man, it's, it's, so, like, re-watching the movie and knowing that that's coming, like, really yeah. colors it, too. Because it's like, well, I can't enjoy these on a scene-by-scene -scene basis because I know it all kind of amounts to nothing. Right, exactly. Because, like, I'm still giving it when I'm watching it the benefit of the doubt of, right. like, surely this will all this build is gonna, to This something. is going to go somewhere, right? <laughs> right. Because, yeah, imagine Snatch if, like, all those little pieces just never went anywhere. And it's like, well, those were all fun on their own, but there was no, like, big... I think they were trying to do the Bullet Tooth Tony thing with Gandolfini, yeah. but it was like, that's... It's not the same character. The tone Again, is totally different. Like, it's... yeah. It's trying to be quirky. Yeah. It's trying to be really quirky and it doesn't have bad ideas. The problem is it didn't it didn't have it didn't have the skill enough to connect those ideas in any way. There was that, no there was no vision to this movie. Right. Yeah, it's sort of that thing of like this is why you outline movies is cuz 
you know, there are people who claim they do this and I, I still am like bullshit, but maybe they do people who like sit down and they just start writing something from beginning to end. And the, the thing about doing something like that and whenever you're like young people think that when I started writing, I thought, eh, I can just write a movie. I can just sit down and start the movie and fin- figure out where it goes. Nope. The problem with that is that it's the John Mulaney joke about writing happy birthday on a banner, which is like, you need to plan it because at the, if you don't, then you you end up fucking yourself later where you're like, oh, wait, I wrote myself into a corner here. Um, and this feels like that. It feels like they didn't plan it. They just started writing something filled with ideas. And then at the end, they're like, I don't know. And then it ends. <laughs> yeah, like, I kind of, oh, yeah. I, I don't outline as hardcore, but like, I definitely know how it ends. Yeah, you need to know how a movie ends so you can set it up in an interesting way and like tie it together and in an interesting course, way, then, especially a movie like this. Then you go back in subsequent drafts and you you hone it and make sure everything makes sense and cut out stuff that doesn't right. make sense and add stuff to make other things make more sense that it all connects. But like, yeah, like you still have like it all needs to still hang together and still be a story. Like, <laughs> right. You like again, if you, by the end of this movie, you're thinking like, oh, it's about fate and these people loving each other and about luck. Then you have to go back and make Brad Pitt have bad luck. Right. Make the movie actually be about those things. Yeah, exactly. Don't but just it feels like it's just sort of like... Yeah, at the last minute say like, oh, it's actually this. And it's like, no, it's not. No, it I watched isn't. the movie. <laughs> yeah. How dare you? Yeah, exactly. You can't tell me a character's in love and not show them being in love ever. Like, no. Not a single time. Not a single time. No, they hate each other. It's the, it's it's, the uh, only time is when he takes that ring that she shot into Bob Balaban's neck and, and he puts it on her finger. Right. And I was like, why? <laughs> sure, man. Why? Would, yeah. Ridiculous shit. Sure, I guess. This, yeah. this movie sucks, Dave. Mm-hmm. The Mexican folks. Yeah, I hate this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, I think that's it, right? That's yeah, all we we've done it. We fulfilled our obligation. Yeah, thank you, Mercurial Oz. Thank you for giving us the Mexican. Mm. I mean, you didn't get unless you're Gore Verbinski. You're not Gore Verbinski, are you? Mm. You tell us, right? I think it's you legally have to tell someone if you're Gore Verbinski. Yeah, if, if uh, we get, if we ever get a patron whose name is Vor Gerbinski, then we'll know. Well, no. Um, yeah, speaking of which, we have a Patreon. That's what this was through. Patreon.com slash Gamefully Unemployed. You can do this, uh, what Mercurial Oz did. There's a, like a, a, a tier where you can have custom we just watched. We also have, just for $5 a month, you get access to a bunch of podcasts. Tom and Jeff Watch Batman, mm. Fox Mulder is a Maniac, mm. Star Trek The Next Futurama, mm. and Spielboys. Mm. Um, you know, we watch movies every Friday night with our patrons as well. A lot of fun stuff on there. So check it out. We also have a store. Head over to GameFleetEmployed.com. You can find a link to our Teespring store where we have all kinds of cool original artwork and designs. You can get on t-shirts, mugs, stickers, posters, all sorts of things. So Check it out. Yeah. Slap your little peepers onto that. Do it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. And mm-hmm. not the Mexican. Don't keep your peepers far away from the Mexican. <laughs> yes. This is a... Yeah. Remove your peepers and throw them. Throw them in the air. Mm-hmm. Toss them into you know? the sea. They'll be better off. Mm-hmm. Be better yeah. served, your peepers would, in the belly of a fish or some monstrous whale. Yes. Than mm. watching Gore Verbinski's The Mexican. 